We start today with a correction. We incorrectly said Jeff Crossman, Democratic candidate for Ohio Attorney General, had voted for HB6, and he did not. He's a listener to the podcast, apparently, reached out very courteously to point that out. Some of his supporters, not so courteously. So we're correcting the record. We apologize, Jeff. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And Laura, you know, you're Canadian, so you're kind of a subject of Great Britain. And your prime <laughs> minister has already quit after six weeks. What okay, is going on? There's a separate Canadian prime minister. I mean, you could say the queen is our our monarch or whatever, but I'm taking no no uh, ownership of Liz Truss. <laughs> but yeah, apparently her tax plan just threw the entire country's economy into turmoil. So that's the breaking news. Yeah, well, that trickle down economics never works. It was always a bogus way to reward the rich and set her country into crisis. Let's move to Ohio. Our first story today is not giant news, but it is important news for anyone who is voting by mail. What is the sudden warning election officials are offering to people who mail in their ballots, Laura? You need to put the right amount of stamps on it, guys. Don't just like stick one forever stamp on it and hope it's going to get there. They, when you get your ballot, wherever it's coming from, whatever county you're living in, they will tell you how much postage it needs. And you could take it to the post office and put that exact amount on by, you know, waiting in line and paying. Or you can be like me and stick two stamps on it. Or you can always drop it off at the Board of Elections in their drop box. But the thing is, the post office probably would deliver it anyway. Like, I don't think they want to be responsible for messing up an election, but do the right thing. Pay your postage. But, you know, it raises the question, why not just make it postage paid? What would the cost be? There's, oh, I, I'm so there, with you on this. There's two schools of thought on this, and we get we get it strong from both sides. If you if you don't care enough to vote to put the right postage on, you shouldn't have a vote. But but which I look more as voter suppression, right? Because yes. the people who are not going to understand that probably are voting one way and the other party doesn't want them to do it. But when you get the packet, my wife is voting uh, by mail and she got the packet this week. It's really thick. So mm-hmm. they spend all the money on the paper. They spend all the money on the printing. They mail it to you why not just have a postage paid envelope so there's no confusion? Why don't we make it easier to vote? Who wants to debate that? I don't. And if you, when you, they, you send in your uh, request for a ballot, you also have to put a stamp on that. So we're looking at at least three stamps to vote. So I would say I'm, I'm wholeheartedly with you that we should be prepaying the postage and making it as easy as possible to vote. I mean, Honestly, wouldn't you think that more people voting absentee saves money in the long run because you have fewer polling places, fewer poll workers, fewer everything in the Board of Elections and on that day? Yeah. I, and, and I just think with all the money government squanders and wastes on stuff, this is not that big an expense. And it takes away the confusion. I mean, you think about all of those elderly folks that are looking at it. They don't have a postal scale, but they want to get the postage right. Why Why cause that worry? Just just make it postage paid, pay the, the bill and make voting easier. I'm with you. So far, about 943,000 Ohioans have requested absentee ballots. That's up 2.7% over the same point in 2018. And I know Andrew Tobias is digging into where where absentee voting is happening. I, I suspect that two stamps would cover just about anything, but I don't know that. So I guess people right. are just going to have to check. Yeah, and obviously, it's different in every county. So we, you got you to gotta check. It's today in Ohio. 
Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost seems worried that Sam Randazzo will hide his millions before the courts can rule he must pay it back to Ohio for all the damage he caused with House Bill 6. Randazzo, of course, is the former Public Utilities Commission director who First Energy has admitted paying bribes to. What is Yost's latest step to stop Randazzo from hiding all that cash? Well, so to take a step back, last month an appeals court overturned a Franklin County judge's order that allowed the AG's office to seize up to $8 million in assets from Randazzo. But Yost has now asked the Ohio Supreme Court to hit the pause button on that decision to unfreeze Randazzo's millions. In a motion filed Tuesday, uh, attorneys for Yost argued that the lower court's decision would allow Randazzo to liquidate his assets and shield them from judgments that the state may eventually win in a civil lawsuit against him. And Yost noted that after FBI agents were seen raiding Randazzo's Columbus house and, and leaving with boxes of material, Randazzo then went about selling properties he owns in Florida and Ohio and transferring transferring a property to his son for free and moving $3 million to two law firms. And Yo said that if the high court denies this motion, the ruling would be a, quote, death knell in Ohio, that it would set this precedent that bad actors can move their money around and then hide it while motions are pending. Of course, you know, Randazzo's defense has been that the state failed to provide evidence to support their claim that it's entitled to freeze Randazzo's money and that the property sales and transfers took place before anyone accused Randazzo of any kind of wrong, wrongdoing. Yeah, the appellate court made pretty clear that the initial hearing on this was cursory and didn't follow any of the due process rules, which looks, based on what was said in that opinion, to be true. I'm surprised Yost, instead of going to the Supreme Court to enforce this when it's based on flawed a flawed process, why didn't he just start over, go into court, do it the right way, have do the due process, let Randazzo make his case and freeze it that way. I I'm, I'm I, I can't see how the Supreme Court's going to back him up here based on what we read in that appellate court ruling. I mean, the, the state did a very bad job in making the case to take Randazzo's yep, money. That's a great point. Maybe he sees this as more expedient because he's so concerned about about this money moving and being liquidated, you know, all his assets being liquidated so quickly that he's, you know, going back to square one would just give Randazzo more time to funnel all this stuff, uh, you know, away, ferret away. I I have a more cynical theory. <laughs> I think you he always might be do. going to the. Su- <laughs> well, I think he might be going to the Supreme Court, so he'll get a four-three ruling. The three conservative justices will support him. The Democrats and Maureen O'Connor will say, you got to do due process. They won't support him. And then he can try and highlight that so people vote for Republican justices in the Ohio Supreme Court race. Mm. Could he be that dastardly and cynical? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I just it's it seems like a bogus move. You've got to do due process as much as. Look, Randazzo looks like a bum in this whole thing, but everybody is innocent till proven guilty and he's he deserves due process rights. And so far, Ohio appears to have deprived them of those rights. Jeff Crossman, if you're listening, what do you think about this? It's today in Ohio. All right. This is in that strange but true kind of category, Lisa. 
anyone who has been a reporter for more than a few years has come across people who claim to be sovereigns in the United States, people not bound by our laws, particularly tax laws. And the stories always end up the same way, with those sovereigns answering to a judge. Why do people like a Strongsville dentist convicted of tax evasion Wednesday get it into their heads? They're not bound by our laws. How much did this guy not pay in his income taxes? Yeah, 68-year-old Strongsville dentist Douglas Smith was found guilty in federal court of tax evasion. Um, He will be sentenced February 7th in U.S. District Judge Dan Polster's court. But yeah, he was found guilty of not paying $492,000 in taxes between the years 2007 and 2017. And during this trial, he, um, he was pro se, which meant he represented himself. He also questioned himself on the stand. Um, Apparently, it was such an odd trial that it drew a lot of spectators. So there were a lot of people in the seats watching this guy do his thing. But Smith, back in the like the 1990s and the and the and the 2000s, he started looking into sovereign citizens groups, including one called Ohio Right Way Law and the Sovereign Education Defense Ministry website. He also found an attorney, Paul Hansen, who gives legal advice to those who believe they're exempt from U.S. laws. So he used that as arguments in his trial. Also, too, he faces six months in prison for contempt of court for violating orders to stop filing frivolous motions. He would file motions during the trial to force the judge and prosecutors to make them fiduciaries in a trust that he created, which I don't... Go ahead. I... I know. It's just bizarre. We see this over and over again, this wacko interpretation of things. It'd be like if you got Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, and Daffy Duck in a room to interpret the Constitution. And they, <laughs> hey, hey, here's a way out. I'm not a citizen. It's this warped logic, and it always ends this way. No one has ever <laughs> been successful saying, yeah, 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 I'm a sovereign. I, I'm not beholden to the laws of the country. And I just don't get how it comes up over and over again. It it's inevitable you're going to lose and you're probably going to go to jail. You can't evade your taxes. The jury took how long to convict him? It wasn't even an hour, right? Yeah, it was. I think it was under two hours. Yeah, they didn't take very long at all. Um, the, so they found in the trial that he transferred money and property into a trust. He bought $250,000 in gold bars and coins that were later seized by the IRS in 2013. And then he filed bankruptcy in 2013 for making false statements. So the these are the things that they focused on in the trial. But yeah, apparently it was it was quite the the uh, trial to watch. I, I get that people think that they're overtaxed. We've been hearing a lot about that this season. And I guess there's a personality trait in some that they just figure they can take matters into their own hands and they come up with these legal theories. We get a lot of letters from prisons with with exotic legal theories. We've all seen the thick packets with the chicken scratch. This is in that category. I just, you would think at some point they would look around and say, you know, no one's ever won this battle. Maybe I should try another tack. He's the latest to lose. It's today in Ohio. Some unfortunate Ohioans who did not know how to properly file their income tax returns lost their bid for help in the Ohio Supreme Court. Laura, these folks acknowledge having to pay taxes, unlike the guy in our previous discussion, (laughs) but they don't want to pay it twice. What's the story? Yeah, the problem is they don't have the proof 
um, that they've paid their taxes before. And the Ohio law states and the the Supreme Court has upheld that if you can't provide information from your W-2 forms about how much state income tax has been withheld from your paychecks, either for any reason, whether the forms are lost or destroyed or stolen or never issued, they have to list on their income tax returns that no state income tax was withheld by employers. And that's really, I mean, apparently the Supreme Court dismissed this case unanimously. They didn't comment on it. But the plaintiffs say that in 2020, they tried to pay their income tax for previous years. Neither of them had W-2s to show. Um, One worked at the Dollar Tree. He said that store closed. And then another woman said her estranged husband either destroyed the W-2s or put them somewhere else, and they were double taxed. But wouldn't the state have the record of the you payment? You think, right? I mean, they, they pay as they go. It's not like you're submitting this all in one, and you're you're paying from the Dollar Tree, right? This isn't like I was a contractor, people paid me under the table, and I'm just telling you how much I owe. I don't understand why the Ohio Department of Taxation doesn't keep records, but that was the basis of the state treasurer, Robert Spriggs, and Ohio Tax Commissioner Jeff McLean's argument that the plaintiffs didn't go through the right way to appeal their case and that they shouldn't have gone to the Supreme Court anyway. Yeah, and it sounds like this was less of a court case and more of a procedure they should have undertaken. I would imagine that if you somehow lost your W-2, you could figure out a way to work with the state to find out what was paid on your behalf. But uh, it's just a strange one. I, I can see why the court saying this is the wrong venue. Right. This, but the state ought to offer an online portal where lost your W-2. Here's how to get records right. of how much you was paid on your behalf. And the attorney is from the Akron-based Community Legal Aid. And basically the argument there is that this is going to hurt poorer Ohioans. They're less likely to get their W-2s every year for several reasons. That includes that they can more likely to hold seasonal or part-time jobs. They tend to move around more often than wealthier residents. So really we're punishing people who are at the, you know, this is not a lot of money. It's like $49 for one of these guys. That's not this is not millions. We're not talking about Sam Randazzo money here. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's all hidden away. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he gets his due process. These people should get their due process. Yeah, the, we, the state should just make it easier instead of forcing this kind of a conflict. It's today in Ohio. Reporter Pete Krauss noticed recently along Interstate 271 that people were getting off of very tall utility poles and into helicopters. He did some checking. Lisa, what are those daredevils doing? Wow. And those pictures on cleveland.com really tell the story. But yeah, along I-271 in the Beechwood area, there are linemen that are working on these 120-foot tall transmission towers. They're doing some uh, repair work. And what happens is that they are actually picked up and dropped off by these little bright yellow helicopters. And boy, if I would see that on the highway, I'd be pulling off to the side to watch. (laughs) But First Energy spoke when Lauren uh, Seberkus says they've been using choppers for decades. They typically use it because they want to access private property or environmentally sensitive areas. And also they want to avoid disrupting traffic on highways by using bucket trucks. And she says that these particular helicopters have been in use since early September. They'll be continuing their work for another month, making repairs, upgrades, and, in, and inspections. But Seberkus says that they let municipalities know 
before the work begins, because people are curious, you know, they get calls, they call the city hall, what's going on with these helicopters? But looking at these pictures, I mean, here's this little helicopter hovering right at the top of this, you know, transmission tower. And then this guy, I would be scared, you know, then they pick, pluck the guy off of the, off of the transmission tower and fly off. But wow. Yeah, the only part of it that I wonder about, and I'm sure there's probably no way to track it, is how many accidents occur as a result of people looking at this <laughs> right. and not at the traffic end. No, right. come on. No, you're that right. is something that you are going to watch. I mean, you said you'd pull off the side of the road, and that's because you're a responsible driver. I think most people would be like, holy moly, what is that? <laughs> and if somebody stops short in front of them, <laughs> it's an accident. They say that they do this because the bucket trucks... Uh, mess with traffic but at least if there's a bucket truck and there's flashing lights people slow down right if right. i see a helicopter dropping down to a, a dropping a guy on a pole i mean you, there's no way you're gonna be able to look away from that so interesting i get it that in backyards and places where you don't have access to it right sense. right but the speed limit over there is 60 miles an hour. So people are doing 70 miles an hour while craning their necks to watch the daredevils. <laughs> or, or trying to videotape it on their, you know, trying to take right. hey, yeah, it on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, TikTok video. I used to yeah, I just, uh, live near a blimp base in, in Houston, Texas. And when the blimp would take off and land, I mean, people would just almost stop in the, in a lane just to watch the blimp take off and land. It was kind of scary. Yeah, I I hope they do that at non-rush hour times because that section at 271 gets very hairy around rush hour and there would be a much more a, a greater likelihood of people banging into each other. Interesting stuff. A credit to Pete Krause. He saw something in his personal life that was fascinating, turned it into a great story. We love that. It's Today in Ohio. Reporter Bob Higgs is writing the stories of houses in Cleveland, a project we launched after people were so interested in reading Laura's history of her house. This week's entry is about the home of a porn king, but there's nothing X-rated about this discussion, Layla. What's the story of the Clarendon Roadhouse in yeah, Cleveland so, Heights? So Beth Clough and her, and her late husband, David, bought this cute house on the lovely Clarendon Road in Cleveland Heights in 1990, and they made it their own. But they didn't know until they moved in and began talking to neighbors that the house was actually the boyhood home of Reuben Sturman, who became known in the 60s as the king of porn because he ran a pornography empire that at one point included 200 companies. So Sturman was a son of immigrant Russian Jews. And after serving in World War II and graduating from Case Western Reserve, Sturman went into business, but at first he was just selling comic books and he did great at that. By the end of the 50s, he had business outlets in several cities, but then in the 60s, he discovered, of course, that there's so much more money in distributing adult materials. So over the course of that part of his career, he was credited with revolutionizing the porn industry. He updated peep shows by bringing in color TVs rather than real life acts. He set up dozens of X-rated retail stores. The Justice Department said that he was the number one distributor of hardcore porn in the U.S. at one point. He fended off government obscenity prosecutions, but he was finally sent to federal prison by tax conviction in 1989. Although, to add the drama to the story, he escaped from jail at one point and was on the lam for two months before he was recaptured. 
And they eventually added 19 more years to a sentence for extortion in 1993. And he died in prison in, in 97. So the house on Clarendon has been remodeled extensively since he lived there. And his mother, Esther, owned the place for a long time. And those who remembered it during that era referred to it as the Pink Palace because I guess she used pink so generously in her decorating. But there are some charming stories about the place. When the cloths moved in, there was a space in the basement that was set up in such a way that seemed like it might have been used as a dark room to develop photos at one point. And they found that really hilarious given the nature of, of uh, Sturman's work. But they actually found a negative in there but the image was indiscernible on it. So it's just sort of like a fun story. And neighbors who remember Esther also told the Kloffs that Reuben Sturman had asked the neighbors to please steal his mother's newspaper from her stoop on days when he was in the news for his, his bad <laughs> deeds to prevent her from seeing the headlines. So it's a super cute story, despite the fact that we're talking about the king of porn. But Bob has really been enjoying these the series and hearing from homeowners whose houses have a story to tell. So if you're listening and you'd like to nominate your own home, you can reach Bob at rhiggs, H-I-G-G-S, at cleveland.com. The interesting thing about this story in our newsroom is we were <laughs> together because we're together three yes. days a week. And somebody said, yeah, Bob's story this week is about the porn king. And I was like, oh, Reuben Sturman. And Rich Exner was like, oh, Reuben Sturman. And Pete Cross was like, oh, Reuben Sturman. But you and Laura and women in the newsroom had right. never heard of the guy, which was an uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. moment. Right. Was it like the age of everyone involved or like the division between For a genders? second there, yeah. Chris was like, yeah, this, this, this knowledge is breaking down along, and he was going to say like generational lines, but really it was gender. <laughs> but I, I do think it has to do. I mean, if he was like a porn king in the sixties, like I, you know, I, I wasn't. Was, I wasn't in Cleveland in the sixties. I've just been around long enough. Where just I just know, know a lot about porn. I'm just saying it goes. Back. <laughs> it goes back a while. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it was just an interesting. As you looked around, it's like, wait, all the women are saying they don't know who he is, and all uh. the men are like nodding knowingly. Uh oh. <laughs> so very interesting. It's today in Ohio. We talked earlier in the week about how Akron Canton Airport had permanently lost an airline in its Florida flight, but another airline already is increasing its presence at the airport and adding flights to Florida. Laura, who is it and what's the new flight? This is Breeze Airways. They're going to start flying between Akron Canton and Orlando in March. This will run twice a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays, and it's the seventh destination from Akron Canton. They're a leisure-focused airline. They fly to Tampa, West Palm Beach, Las Vegas, Nashville, New Orleans, and Charleston. And remember, we've talked on this podcast how they were supposed to fly to Hartford. That flight never started. So I do want to put this caveat that we talk a lot about like new flights that are coming, and then we might not talk about them when they don't actually come. Not that you got bounced from that non-existent I totally flight. got bounced for that. But hey, Breeze gave me a $100 credit, and I have since booked a trip to New Orleans in February. So we are going to keep our fingers crossed that that one happens. Okay. Good news for Akron Canton after bad news a week ago. Hey, and if you get your route by Monday, you can get a $39 fare. So try for it. It's today in Ohio. 
Why does Nan Whaley say she would not be able to get much done in her first two years if she were to win the governor's race? And why does she say that would change in the second half of her term? Layla, she staged a one-way debate because Mike DeWine will not debate her, and this came out there. Yeah, this was at a forum held by the Columbus Metropolitan Club, and she said that she expects to spend the first couple years of her term fighting with Republican lawmakers, and then she'll seek to get her agenda accomplished after another redistricting battle. She said if she gets enough votes to defeat DeWine, uh, the Democratic nominees for Secretary of State and State Auditor, who are Chelsea Clark and Taylor Sappington, would would likely win as well. And then that would give Democrats a four to three majority on the Ohio Redistricting Commission, which will have to redraw legislative districts for 2024 because, of course, you know, Republicans repeatedly passed on redistricting plans, uh, you know, that were ruled you know, their plans were ruled unconstitutional by the Ohio Supreme Court. So that resulted in the federal court ordering this GOP authored map to remain in place for only two years instead of the usual 10. So we get another bite at this apple. Whaley feels like that will be her moment <laughs> once all of that clicks into place. So then once the legislature is purged of the Republicans who she feels doesn't don't represent the true values of Ohioans, she'll be able to work in collaboration with the reasonable lawmakers who replace them. And, you know, she just repeatedly talked about her plans for the second two years of her term as governor, which include, you know, passing new gun control measures and, um, you you know, universal background checks and expanding anti-discrimination laws for LGBTQ Ohioans and things like that. Um, But I mean, I like her candor about how difficult it would be to govern as a Democrat under such hostile conditions. But to come right out and say, I'm not going to be able to work collaboratively under this, you know, it it just doesn't 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 that feel a little too much like she's saying the quiet part out loud? (laughs) Well, but I also she's out of her mind if she thinks the second two years would be different, even with a fair redistricting. She's going to be dealing with two Republican houses and Senate, and they're not going to work with her. The other thing that I was surprised at is that her plan is to work within the current redistricting system, which most people now know was an mm-hmm. utter failure. And and really, I thought the goal was using mm-hmm. these two years to, to change it. I mean, the Supreme Court Chief Justice has said, you really, Ohio, ought to change this system. And here's somebody running for governor as a Democrat saying, I, I'm going to work within the system. It's a failed a system. Point. So I was very disappointed in all of it. I mean, yes, she, she pretty much has to admit, yeah, I won't get anything done the first two years. But I, it's pie in the sky to think that that would change much in the second two years. I, I, I just, it, this has been a fumbling campaign. I've been very surprised at how it's moved along. We'll be talking to her and Mike DeWine next week. It'll be interesting to see how they do when they face off with our editorial board. It's Today in Ohio. We've talked plenty about manufacturers coming to or expanding in Ohio this year, but this next story is about a homegrown product that is leaving Northeast Ohio. We're talking about applesauce, and the guy behind this company has had a remarkable run, Lisa. Why is he moving it out of Northeast Ohio? Well, basically, it's because business is good. I mean, he has outgrown his... uh 
a facility in Bedford where they produce this applesauce. His name is Ethan Holmes. He's a Shaker Heights resident. He founded Holmes Mouthwatering Applesauce in 2008 when he was 15 years old. He made it with his grandfather and they worked together to improve the recipe over time. And one of those big moves was taking out the water and putting back apple cider. So they launched the product in 2014 at Cleveland's Culinary Launch Kitchen. Uh, They sourced their apples from Bauman Orchards in Rittman, Ohio. And then this stuff landed in grocery stores a year later. But because they're successful, they were closing their facility in Bedford by the end of this year. Uh, Mr. Holmes worked out a deal with this global contract manufacturer in Chile. And Chile actually reached out to him. He visited their plant in Chile and he was very impressed. So uh, they're going to start producing it there. And he also went through a rebranding. So he raised $750,000. He invested in rebranding and new packaging, which will come out in 2013, 2023. He shortened the name to Holmes Mouth Watering, but he says the recipe hasn't changed. The new product should hit the shelves sometime early next year. And he's hoping to get it. It's, you know, in the typical Heinen's, it's in Giant Eagle, but he wants to expand to Walmart and Target as well. Um, yeah, this is a great story. He's a, he's a young man, still a young man. He says the recipe has not changed. The headquarters will remain in Cleveland. Yeah, but will the apples now be sourced from South America, or is he going to ship them from here? And this, I, what was so cool about this is Ohio has some of the greatest apples in the country. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Ohio, I couldn't believe how delicious the apples are. This time of the year is a great time of the year to live here. And, and he capitalized on that. I wonder if Jobs Ohio had the chance to try and keep this in Ohio. Because it, it was it's such a great story. It's young entrepreneur, builds from nothing, gets a great product, now made in Chile. I mean, it's just, it, it feels off and it feels like we missed in Ohio and providing what he needed to yeah, thrive. Yeah. And he probably had a small operation, but he went to this plant and apparently he tried like hundreds of different kinds of apples and they worked together to find the apples that would work for them. So yeah, it sounds like they're going to be sourced from Chile. Yeah. I mean, it's great for him. He's, you'd love to see an Ohio success story. It's sad for Ohio when Northeast Ohio and that we're letting an up, op- entrepreneur move the production elsewhere. Uh, We'll have to see how his company fares in the future, or maybe Ohio can bring it back. It's today in Ohio. That's it for a Thursday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, everybody who listens. We'll be back Friday. It's the end of the week, talking about the week of news. 